everyone. Welcome to the podcast of the Vineyard Church, Chester Springs. We invite you to join our mission to love like Jesus, and you can connect with us on social media or visit our website, csvineyard.org. Now for this week's talk, brought to you by co-lead pastor, Amos Grunendijk. Hey, good morning, everybody. My name is Amos. Glad you came. Uh, I am the teaching pastor here, and I have a three-year-old, as many of you know. So she wakes up, she opens the door, I walk to go, like, release her, because we have this, like, little baby gate up still, so she doesn't, you know, get into the sugar container or whatever while we're sleeping. And she says, Dad, why are you wearing that? (laughs) Now, it might be obvious to you what she meant, but I was holding a baby had a birth cloth or burp, burp cloth on my shoulder and had a heat pack around my waist. So I was like, what do you, what do you mean, what am I wearing? She says, that shirt. <laughs> and then she starts to cry. <laughs> she says, take it off. I was like, why do you want me to take it off? Because of the f- there's too many flowers. <laughs> it should have bunnies. <laughs> which is her favorite animal. So uh, I want to explain to you why I'm wearing this shirt. I'll say it a couple different ways. The first way to say it is we are the vineyard. That's the series we're doing. And uh, I don't like inside jokes, so I'm going to explain the joke. Uh, the, the vineyard started yeah, a long time ago, what, 50, 50 years ago, let's just say. In uh, Southern California, a lot of the pastors were very laid back, chill. That was kind of their... Uh, their style, and so the Hawaiian shirt has become a symbol in the vineyard, especially if you go to conferences, the older pastors get out their Hawaiian shirts. We still have some worship leaders in this church who like to occasionally wear. We didn't talk about matching outfits today, but but anyway, uh, that's why I'm wearing the shirt, because we're in this series called We Are the Vineyard. And we have been walking through just four of our distinctives. There's, there's lots more of them. And I did a couple of YouTube videos. Did you guys see some of those? Uh, there's still, like, if you go to our YouTube channel, you can watch them. There's lots of, like, kind of vineyard distinctives to talk through. But on Sundays, we went through four. The first was Naturally Supernatural. Uh, I'm not going to explain them. Just, just go back. <laughs> the second was Everybody Gets to Play. The third was Experiential Worship. And today, I'm going to talk about compassion and justice. And I know that this is a topic that is like walking through a field of landmines. And so, I want you to just extend me a little grace because it's full of landmines. I'm actually going to read just a lot of scripture because the Bible talks a lot about justice. I want to name an elephant in the room. I know because I've heard that there are some news sources that say if your church talks about justice, you should leave that church, which is confusing to me because if your church reads the Bible, then you will read and teach about justice and compassion. So this is not a political talk. I don't actually think either political party gets this right, the idea of caring for the poor. I think uh, as Christians, we are not mandated to vote a certain way, but we do have a mandate to care for the poor. 
to do ministry with them. And so in the words of one of our founders, John Wimber, who was one of those Southern California guys, can I get that quote up, please? You're good. Oh, I forgot about that slide. Sorry. Two words can sum up the vineyard movement, worship and compassion. So if there's like things that we are known for, like there's a lot of vineyard worship songs and it's the way we worship and it's the way we sing to God, not just about God and and invite his presence and expect him to meet us and speak to us as we worship. But the other thing that is sometimes neglected is compassion. And when John Wimber talks about compassion, he's actually talking about compassion in a very specific direction. It's compassion for people who are poor. Uh, the Bible's language often includes the, the widow, the orphan, and the immigrant, along with the description of the poor. So if you guys don't have your Bibles with you, I would love for you to run back and grab them. There's some in the back that you can borrow, and you're <clears throat> invited to like mark them up. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, take it home. Uh, if you do have Bibles, I, I always encourage you to bring them to service. And just, um, again, to look forward a little bit, open them up to uh, Micah 6 verse 8. As you do that, I'll just say, uh, this is the last of our We Are Vineyard series. And next week, we're going to start uh, a new series called Revive, which is going to be looking at metaphors of life through the first 15 chapters of John. So I would encourage you to like just start reading through John. That turns out to be like three chapters a week if you're going to keep pace with our series about John. But uh, today we're talking about justice and compassion. Micah 6 is a fairly famous passage, um, especially if you've heard uh, or care about like justice issues. But I'm going to start back in Micah 6, verse 6. And this is, this gives a little context. What can we bring to the Lord? The prophet Micah says, should we bring him burnt offerings? Should we bow before God most high with offerings of yearly calves? Should we offer him a thousand rams and 10,000 rivers of olive oil? Should we sacrifice our firstborn children to pay for our sins? No. O people, the Lord has told you what is good, and this is what he requires of you. Do what is right, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Or uh, one of the confusing things about the word justice in the Bible is that it's the same word as righteousness. And so in this passage, and many translations actually choose to use the word justice here. In other words, the ideas of justice and righteousness in the Bible are linked and connected. So sometimes when we think righteousness, we think, you know, uh, the, the, the personal living, right? Like we think about righteousness as piety and being nice to people and not saying mean things. And justice is this other thing about caring for the poor and defending the rights of widows and orphans and immigrants. But actually the Bible takes these two ideas and thinks of them as the same. And in Micah 6, 8, you might think that those context verses actually is a, is a, a, a word about money or giving or generosity because it's about bringing things to God, but it's actually not. 
This is not a, a verse about money. This is a verse about worship. The burnt offerings that people bring, the, the bringing of olive oil, these would be acts of worship that in this context would be done at the temple. And so this is a corrective word, not about how you spend your money, but it's a corrective word about worshiping on the one hand while neglecting the poor at the same time. In other words, if, if your worship is disconnected from your living and specifically your compassion toward the poor, it's, it's worthless. God isn't interested. The way you live your life and the way you worship must be in step with each other. So do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. We're going to return to that if we have time. But uh, flip forward in your Bibles about 100 pages to Matthew chapter 7, page 1006 if you're in here. Jesus um, says something similar here in regards to misfiring religious activity. So for us humans, sometimes we think that we can be really religious and spiritual again without living a certain way or loving a certain way. Here's Jesus in Matthew 7, verse 21. You guys there? Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name, and we cast out demons in your name, and we performed many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. Now, I might make the point that when he's talking about God's laws, Jesus knows his Old Testament scriptures very well. And if you knew your Old Testament scriptures really well, you would also know that there's a lot about justice and mercy in the Old Testament. But in terms of what does it actually look like to do the will of the Father, there's, uh, there's much to it, <laughs> including being in tune with what the Holy Spirit is doing in and around you. But in, in the Gospel of Matthew, he's, he begins Jesus' teaching ministry with the Sermon on the Mount, of which this is a part. He ends Jesus' teaching ministry. So there's like this big section of Matthew where Jesus basically goes around performing miracles, but while he's doing that, he's teaching. He ends his teaching ministry in Matthew 25. And you have the same sort of warning to people who are following Jesus. You guys know this passage? Matthew 25, verse 31. He's describing the end of days, the day of judgment. This is how Jesus ends his teaching ministry. Matthew 25, verse 31. But when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit upon his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered in his presence and he will separate the people as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep at his right hand and the goats at his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. For as I was hungry, you fed me. 
I was thirsty, and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me into your home. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you cared for me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then these righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you? These righteous ones, right? These just ones. When did we ever see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink or a stranger and show you hospitality or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will say, I tell you the truth. When you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. Then the king will turn to those on the left and say, Away with you, you cursed ones, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his demons. For I was hungry, and you didn't feed me. I was thirsty, and you didn't give me a drink. I was a stranger, and you didn't invite me in to your home. I was naked, and you didn't give me clothing. I was sick and in prison, and you didn't visit me. And then... They will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and not help you? And he will answer, I tell you the truth. When you refused to help the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were refusing to help me. And they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous will go into eternal life. If this is all we had, If this was the only little bit of scripture we had, we would probably do as Jesus commanded the rich young ruler. We would sell all our possessions and give them to the poor because the stakes are eternal. But because this is not the only passage we have, we know that uh, while God has deep care and concern for what the parable here tells or calls the least of these, uh, we are also sinners saved by grace. We are people who receive God's infinite mercy and generosity. And so let's, let's think about this not as these are the things we must do in order to be saved, in order to receive the grace of God, because grace is not earned. But these are the things that we do because we are saved. So turn with me to James chapter 2. This is a, another passage that you are probably familiar with if you've read your Bible much or heard people talk in church much. Uh, this, is the, this is the famous uh, faith without works is dead passage. Can you guess what James gives as an example of dead faith based on our topic today? Well, let's just read. James chapter 2, verse 14. What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing, and you say, goodbye, and have a good day. Stay warm and eat well, but then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? So you see, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. Now someone may argue, some people have faith and others have good deeds. But I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. 
You say you have faith, for you believe that there is one God. Good for you. Even the demons believe this, and they tremble in terror. How foolish. Can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? We're dead. So I want to say this again. We don't earn God's favor. We don't earn God's mercy through our good deeds, through caring for the poor, through showing compassion to the least of these. But if we receive God's free and undeserved grace, then we, in character with him, should show undeserved mercy and grace to those who are in need. And so John Wimber uh, puts it this way. Um, He says, we need the poor like the poor need us. We need each other in working out our salvation. There's something about giving generously to those who don't deserve it that help us actually embrace, understand, comprehend how generous our God is to us. So I've just, I've read like a bunch of scripture and I hope that it is not like heavy in a condemning way. And I know, I know like some of you are just like guilty, guilty, I'm guilty, I'm guilty. That's, that's not my goal, okay? I, want, I hope that that is not what's going on in your head. I will just say, like, as I, as I studied and read through these scriptures, I was just feeling like a, a renewal, uh, a revival of what I want to do in terms of caring for the poor. And I think it's an essential part of anybody life who says, Jesus is my Lord. And so, so maybe just to summarize, I want to make a summary statement and I printed it out or put it, the Bible does not blame the poor for their poverty. Rather, it makes the rich responsible to the poor orphan and widow and immigrant by, well, first of all, there's like, there's like the obvious thing, like don't take advantage of the poor. That's not on the board, but like, there's a lot of warnings about Uh, you know, overpriced rent and uh, bad wages and, you know, like squeezing people for all their worth. Like that's, that's maybe the obvious stuff, but the, the positive like is to, first of all, seeking their justice, defending their cause, helping the oppressed and fighting for their rights. That's Isaiah one verse 17. And secondly, giving generously without a grudging heart. That's Deuteronomy 15. God doesn't, or the Bible isn't super interested all the time in like placing blame, like why are there poor people? Although that's a good question to ask. But it puts responsibility, if you read the Old Testament prophets and the words of Jesus, on people who have to share. And I wanna wanna just kind of walk through some of the reasons why we might show this kind of compassion, why we might seek real justice. Some of them bad, some of them good, and some of them, let's say, biblical 
or like lasting reasons that will endure. So like there are bad reasons to serve the poor. The first is uh, like to try to just resolve guilt. <laughs> Uh, another bad reason to like serve the poor is because of you think of yourself as like better than other people and like I'm going to be their savior and I'm going to rescue them, right? That we might call that a savior complex. Some like if that's you, it's okay. Just like just repent and say, God, I want to actually view people uh, with dignity and respect and love, not pity. There's a big difference between compassionate love and pity. Maybe you can think of some other bad reasons to serve the poor. There are, there are good reasons to serve the poor. Like you genuinely want to help people. You genuinely want to see people uh, like lifted out of poverty. Uh, you want to have purpose and meaning in your own life. Like these are good reasons. Uh, but let me just say, if those are your only reasons you will give up quickly because if you've loved people, well, poor or otherwise, you will find that they're not always grateful, that you'll see progress and then you'll see like all your kind of efforts and compassion just like walked away from. Jesus experiences this when he heals 10 lepers. Nine skip away. You know, happy to be healed, and one returns and says, thank you. So, so if you're helping people only because they are grateful or thankful, eventually you'll get frustrated and stop. The compassion will dry up. That's actually kind of like almost a selfish reason. I only help people who are grateful. Well, that's like, you know, that's for you. Then you're helping people for you. That's kind of not the point. Good reason too, like the biblical reason too, Serve people who are poor. Seek justice for those who are oppressed. Defend the rights of those who don't have anyone to stand up for them is because Jesus commands it. How's, like, that's a pretty good reason. The second reason, it's because it matches the character of God and it's the way that God has treated us. So you still have those Bibles in your hands. Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 2. I told you we do a lot of Bible today. You guys got to know this passage. You got to know Ephesians 2. Um, if, you're, if you're into like memorizing stuff or like putting things on note cards, like Ephesians 2 verse 1 to 10 is a great passage to do that with. I'm going to just pick up in verse 4. This is actually, this is about who God is and what God does. And this is the Apostle Paul writing to a, an early church. It says, But God, who is so rich in mercy and loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved, for he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So God can point to us in all future ages as an example of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness toward us as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Jesus. God saved you by his grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. 
Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done so that none of us can boast about it. And so God has shown us incredible grace in our absolute spiritual poverty. And so who are we to distinguish between, well, you're poor because of your bad decisions and you're poor because you are oppressed. Like we have squandered at times the grace that God has given us. We have lived in a way that doesn't reflect his character or his love. And yet he continues to show us his mercy and kindness out of the wealth of his love. And so let's return once again because Micah, to Micah 6.8. Uh, I'll just put up the, the main verse here. Seek justice, love mercy, walk humbly with your God. Seeking justice is something even very young children understand. Uh, so I have a three-year-old and a two-month-old. And uh, one of the things that really makes my three-year-old angry is when the baby cries. It's not even because of the noise. You know what makes her mad about the crying? She's not allowed to whine. (laughs) My three-year-old gets in trouble when she starts to whine. So she doesn't understand why she can't whine, but the baby can. She has a very strong justice compass. She gets this from her mother, I think. Like we know, we have as adults sometimes felt what it's like to be treated unfairly or unjustly. Um, I am not, no offense to any contractors in the room, not all contractors are like this, but I bet most of us have had an experience where we hired a contractor, they said they were going to show up on this day and be done by that day, and neither of those things happened. And we, we get super angry because in a way we're powerless What are we supposed to do? Especially if we've already paid money, like we want justice. We want, they wasted the day that I took off from work to meet with them about the project. If they've taken money, then you're even more stuck. And so because we are like rich and because we can post mean reviews on Google or whatever, like we we do what we can to fight for justice. But what if you don't have resources? There are people, orphans, widows, single moms, immigrants. Uh, I think the immigrants thing is like a little tangy, isn't it? Because we're really really talking about people who live, like ethnic groups who live in a culture that is not their own. And because of that, there's maybe not the same opportunities or there's like a prejudice or judgment against them. Maybe even the system is rigged against them. But even without that, there's still like this sort of distrust. And so it's much harder for like, let's just say immigrants to find justice. It's much harder for typically ethnic minorities to find or to find the same opportunities as people in the dominant culture. Now, again, I know I'm stepping on landmines here, but I'm just saying, like, we actually have a little taste, many of us, of what it looks like to be treated unfairly. Some people experience it all the time, every day. 
And these are the Bible's categories. And this is the Bible's language for it. And so not just to seek justice for yourself, that's not what this is about. This is about seeking justice for other people who maybe don't have the energy or the strength or the resources or the, right, the friends to find it for themselves. But it's not just about the outward action. To love mercy. This word is uh, a, a Hebrew word that is fairly uh, prominent in the Bible. Maybe you've heard of it. It's chesed. It speaks to the loyal love, the unfaltering love and compassion that God has toward his people. And that's what it takes to really seek justice. It's an internal disposition toward people. And let me tell you, and I have the same problem as many of you. Most of my, most of what I know about the poor comes from the news. There have been times in my life when I've had like people I would call very close friends who are like homeless or like, uh, there's a word for it. I, I don't remember what it is, but like, they have a place to live and then they get evicted and then they find a new place, but they just like their house. They're in this constant cycle of, I have a little money. I can pay my bills. Now I'm broke again. And I got evicted. Uh, What's that called? I can't. uh, Anyway, you know what I'm talking about? Home insecurity. That's it. That's a word for it. I, I, when I was, when I had a, this, a friend who was living in poverty and I was getting my information from a person instead of the news and that made a big difference. We have to be careful when most of what we know about other people comes filtered through let's, a news organization with uh, certain agendas. We'll just say, and it's every news organization. Again, equal op- I'm an equal opportunity offender. And here I am back preaching after two months off, and I'm walking through the landmine field. Seek justice. Love mercy. Walk humbly. And I just, the idea of walking humbly is so important because it is so easy to become condescending and high and mighty, and full of pride when it comes to, well, anything spiritual, but in particular when it comes to caring for the poor. So remember to walk humbly with God, to to keep your heart open, to keep your mind open, to stay teachable, to stay a learner. I just, I have to admit to you, the more I learn about poverty, the less I understand it. There are so many factors, family factors, cultural factors, circum- life circumstantial factors. That, that, like, I cannot begin to unravel the web of why people are poor. And so I want to stay as a learner, and I want to learn from real people, and people who are, who are giving their lives to serve the poor. So seek justice, love mercy, and walk humbly. That's what I want you to hear 
today. But there's, there's like things I can say, and then there's things I believe that the Holy Spirit can say and do in us. And so I just, I want to invite us all to stand. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to simply say, come Holy Spirit. And I'm going to give two minutes for you to just open your heart to what God is doing or stirring inside of you. I want you to notice your resistance, your anger, uh, your worldview as it's like all swirling around. But the thing I want you to seek God for is simply more compassion. At the end of this prayer, I hope that God expands the size of your heart for the poor. And so come Holy Spirit. Come and speak to us. Fill us with your love. So let me pray for you as the worship team comes forward. God, I pray against guilt and against shame. And I pray for just an experience of your amazing love and mercy. So some of us are in different places and, and wherever we're at, we just, we turn toward you. Some of us aren't even sure about giving us our life to you.
But if, if that's where we're at, Jesus, reveal yourself to us. And some of us have said, Jesus, you're my Lord, but like your money hasn't followed your heart <laughs> uh, or your passion for those who are not in relationship with God hasn't like your heart hasn't been converted in that way. Or, or for some of us, we just need a conversion to, to care for the poor. And so God draws, point us, nudge us, and, and show us how. Show us who. God, I pray that as we worship now, that we would be refreshed, that we would be filled up, that we would be strengthened, that we would be empowered, that you would speak to us, that we would be able to feel your pleasure and your presence. As we were praying uh, with the worship team before the service, I, I just had this vision of like a wall of light surrounding the church. And people could walk through, but like anything dark would just like burn off as you walked in. And, and like as people, you are loved by God. So don't think that God wants to burn you up. Like he wants to heal you and cleanse you and give you life. And so, God, I pray that you would shine your light on each of our hearts. So let's worship. Thanks again for listening to the podcast of the Vineyard Church, Chester Springs. We hope you share this with your friends and family and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time.